Hi, this is Sean, and welcome to the latest episode of If You've Come This Far, where my friend Chris and I have uh, interesting conversations, at least we think they're interesting, with interesting people. Surely they are interesting. Um, and invite you along for the conversation. And in this episode, uh, we're talking to an old friend of Chris's, Jason Renee. And Chris, uh, why don't you introduce the folks to Jason? Yeah, thanks, Sean. Uh, Jason is a dear friend from uh, where we both hail from Springfield, Ohio, home of the Simpsons, no matter what uh, other Springfielders from other states say. Um, Jason uh, uh, is probably the best athlete I know. Um, uh, he was a, a, a scholarship, Division One scholarship athlete in two sports. Um, and, and for me, I got really excited about talking to him uh, for a number of reasons. One is because I think sports has really informed who I am and, and how I identify and how I navigate life. And uh, I'm guessing you would say the same thing. And the fact that so Jason Rone has, as a coach and a teacher, has recognized the role that sport can play in, in people's lives, uh, young people and teachers and coaches alike. Um, yeah. And so this book called Endless Teachable Moments is about that. And he wrote it uh, uh, predominantly in poetry. Um, uh, which which I'm not uh, terribly fluent in poetry, or I wouldn't call myself a, a poetry um, aficionado, but I really enjoyed the book because it it, it speaks directly to the lessons. It's not um, it, it, it's it's obvious enough for someone like me, Sean. Uh, I was going to say not, nothing makes me feel dumber than poetry, but I you know I was able to pick up Jason's book and get some of it. Not that the listeners are going to be shocked by that confession <laughs> um but 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 it was really it was really great and by the way is is everybody as dysfunctional in, in your springfield as the simpsons is that like a thing like, yeah. so it's I, so funny I, you say that because i mean i was actually bragging about that and now you're gonna turn it on me and make it. We could talk. We could have talked to Jason for much longer because Jason's yeah. life has been so interesting, and and um, and he and we touch on a little bit of this, but he's he's dealt with some sort of unthinkable hardships and losses in his life, um, uh, and I think he would attribute or does attribute some of his his ability to navigate those things um, to his experience in sport. So, I, really, I was neat guy. I, I I can't tell you how many people I've talked to about our our conversation with jason already um talk about endless teachable moments um it's not only the book his life is yeah i i mean i i i really encourage people to listen to this and and share it with people they know because um he's a special dude yeah he is a special dude so yeah. without further ado let's talk to the dude jason here we go Welcome to my uh, friend, Jason Rone. I am super psyched to have you here, Jason. Thanks for joining us. Um, uh, today is a big day, my man, right? Uh, today is the day that you're, you're, it's your first book, right? You don't have, there's, there's no, no secrets. There's no sort of dark past where you have other books out there, is there? No, this is the, uh, this is the first. So this is a long time coming. This is the official uh, release date, September 21st, 2022, of uh, Endless Teachable Moments, uh, an expression mm -hmm. on the art and education of sports. So I uh, I picked September 21st because simply I'm a, I'm a big Earth, Wind, and Fire fan. So oh my in the song September, uh, they say, do you remember the 21st of September? And I always just wanted a reason to remember the 25th of <laughs> September. So that's basically, that's, that's the, that's the extent of the significance around that date. I saw the little video that you and Anna recorded on the way to school. That as, day, as, so. as did I. I didn't know that as there was a, like a thoughtful connection or an intentional connection. It was, um, it's been, it's been completed for a while. And I, I, I had a little bit of a soft opening with it, with a, uh, with a launch team uh, a couple of weeks ago, but, uh, but probably three months ago, I said, September 21st seems like the, like the right date for it. Uh, all right. Well, so um, I so first of all, I have ordered my copy, and I guess I'll just have to work on getting it signed on the back end, um, as opposed to the special offer that you threw out there on social media to friends and family. Um, again, the book is called "Endless Teachable Moments: An Expression on the Art and Education of Sport." 
And um, I, there's a lot of ground and you've heard Sean and me before we're all over the map. Um, but, but this book is certainly the focus of our conversation with you. And I'm hoping you can just start by telling us, you know, a little bit about the book. You don't have to go too deep at, at the start, but like what, it, what it is and really kind of the genesis of your writing it and then deciding that you should publish it. Wait, 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 before, oh, Jason, sorry, does, Sean. before Jason does that, I, unless I totally forgot it, I don't know how you guys know each other. I don't know oh. what, how you're, now I saw some Navy stuff. I don't know, you know, that could be the case. I don't know if that's in the mix or Northwestern. I have no idea. So could you enlighten wow. all of us how you guys? Well, know I was, I, I, I'll start by saying I was lucky enough to attend the same high school that Chris Lozier attended. Oh. And so I'm not nearly as uh, nearly as popular or, or, or famous as he was back then, but. Uh, or, or old is what you're really trying to say, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And we have a dear, dear friend uh, connection in, in a- Angela Cobb. She was also a graduate of um, Springfield Catholic Central in Ohio. Uh, Chris and Angela attended Notre Dame together. Okay. Um, and, uh, and so through all of that, you know, I, I, I knew of Chris, uh, yeah. you know, I am younger uh, than Chris, yes. but <laughs> yes. I knew of Chris and then was go. lucky enough to be able to meet, uh, was able to meet him here in Chicago. Oh, that's great. Well, okay. okay so, so let, let, uh, so there's a couple of things I want to come back to this. Jason, I don't think I ever knew that you were commissioned when you were at Annapolis. So, so we'll, I was, we, we yeah. will co- maybe come back to that. We'll come back to it. Um, but but let me let me introduce Jason a little bit more to you, Sean, and I guess uh, for our listeners. But um, a little backstory here: for you, my dad died in two thousand six. But for his entire life, I probably heard him on no fewer than a hundred occasions argue that this cat, this guy named Ricky Cop from Portsmouth, Ohio, where he grew up, was the greatest athlete that ever walked the planet. This guy, Ricky Cop, who turns out Ricky Cop was the great great nephew of Branch Ricky. Who I know, Jason, you know who that is. And Sean, you probably mm-hmm. do too, right? Yes, mm-hmm. sure. Um, he signed Jackie Robinson. He was super influential in pro yeah. baseball. Um, but Ricky, my dad thought Ricky was the greatest athlete. He got scholarships in football and basketball at Ohio State. He was on the, I think it was the 66 OSU NCAA championship baseball team. I bring this up only because I think I could make the argument that that uh, Jason Rone is, the, is Springfield's Ricky Cop. Uh, um, uh, and, and I know that we can talk about this at some point, but I, Jason played with some great players in both sports, including Jason Collier. Um, but, um, but, uh, how many guys do you know who, uh, were division one, uh, scholarship athletes in two sports? It was baseball and basketball. This, this cat played Mm -hmm. in, uh, Mm -hmm. in college. So, so, um, so while, Jason flatters me about um, my status in the city of Springfield, Ohio. Um, it, it pales in comparison to his. Mm. So that's that's a little bit about this guy, this handsome mug you're looking at. Yeah. Um, let's go back to the book. You right. got it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the book was, yeah, it's Endless Teachable Moments, an expression on the art and education of sport, which is, it's somewhat of a, of a poetic memoir. Um, that uh, really encapsulates um, the journey of sport from beginning to end to reflection upon it after your playing days are over um, and how much I think uh, athletes really need to be able to express that journey. And so it's, it's definitely, it's definitely different. And it's definitely something that um, is born of so many experiences uh, in my life, but really it's about um, capitalizing the teachable moments. Uh, Originally, when I, when I started off thinking about the book, I was, um, I had always, from the time I graduated from college, uh, I knew I had a unique um, athletic experience. I, I grew up in a coaching family. My father was a longtime high school and college basketball coach. Um, I have so many stories from from growing up and uh, his players being big big brothers to me, and watching him and learning from him and 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 being able to be a part of the practices and being able to be on the road trips and watching um, watching my father um, do some things that I, I really felt were. I knew that there was a, a, a genius to the way that he was doing certain things. I knew there was a difference. And so from the time I was young, I was so um, enthralled with learning about coaches. Why does, why does coach A get more out of his team than coach B? And why does that team respond in a certain way? And why, 
why is the culture of that program so good? Like, what is the leadership aspect of it? What's happening um, during that uh, during that process? And um, and being a two sport Division one athlete uh, in baseball and basketball, which is which is really really neat, and also uh, wrecks havoc on your shoulder, by the way, because those sports <laughs> they're not supposed to go together, right? You're not supposed to throw that many times and shoot that many times. Like it does, it does some does some bad things to the shoulder. Um, but I knew the experience meant so much to me. Uh, I knew that sport was uh, was a dear loyal friend to me during a time of uh, immense tragedy when I was young. Um, and so the, the, the foundation uh, of it came from a place of um, when I was young, when I was uh, six years old, uh, my younger brother, James, who was uh, four and a half at the time, we were on our way over to uh, we were, my, my father was the head basketball coach at uh, Mars Hill College, now Mars Hill University in North Carolina. And it was a Tuesday evening. And he said, hey, boys, you want to go? We're going to I'm going to go check on the players at, uh, at study hall. Mm-hmm. And so we went over to the library uh, in Mars Hill, North Carolina. And uh, we went in. We, we loved being around the players. I mean, we, we spent so much time around them. And it was such a unique thing for us. I, I loved being a coach's son. Um, and so we went into the library across the street, we came back out and, um, you know, my father had us by, by both hands and my brother just sprinted out into the street, um, and was hit by a car and was, was killed immediately. And so that happened right in front of my father, it happened right in front of me. Um, it was something where, you know, James and I like to race all the time. And I think that there was something in his four and a half year old brain that, that that stuck out. And, um, and so it was something that I, you know, we were basically almost, almost like twins. We were 19 months apart. We spent all the time together. Um, and we did everything together and his basketball players came running out and it was, it was, it was an incredible scene. Um, and certainly, uh, at that moment, my younger brother, Jared, uh, who's now a college basketball coach at Mount Vernon Nazarene university in Ohio, um, he was only, um, uh, he was less than one at the time. And my sister obviously wasn't, uh, wasn't born yet. And so I became, I, I, I went from a place of having somebody next to me at all times to being alone, uh, in the world. And, and I've, I've, I've done a lot of reflection and, and certainly some counseling and therapy on these things. And, uh, uh, but sport became this very dear, loyal friend to me. It became uh, my community. It, it was. It was. It gave me a vision. It gave me a structure, and it gave me something that I knew um, uh, would make my parents smile. Right? They, if Jason was doing okay during all of this, like he saw what he saw, and that's never going to go away. But as long as he's doing well, like we feel good. And I'll, I'll never forget. Two months later, uh, I, w- I played my first youth baseball game. And so my parents are out there and my uh, some of my dad's players were out there and the very first pitch of an organized game, uh, the ball was hit. I was playing second base at the time. I was little. I've always been little, uh, which is why, you know, being a division one, two sport division one athletes meant a lot to me. Um, and uh, and the ball was hit right to me. My very the very first pitch of my very first season on my very first team. Uh, and it was a pop-up hit to me and I caught the ball and I looked up and my, my dad just looked at me and gave a fist pump. And from that point on, I go, you know, here's something, here's something that I know this means a lot to me. It means a lot to him. This is part of our relationship. And so, um, sport was, uh, was really, really important to me. And it had a deeper meaning for me, uh, from that point on fast forward to, uh, um, you know, uh, I, I played college basketball at uh, uh, St. Peter's University for one year, um, which uh, uh, I was I started off on a basketball scholarship. I was also going to play baseball. I decided that at my size, I, I, I wanted to max out baseball. I, I wanted to see what was going to happen with that. However, what I will say, which is kind of a funny story, is I played in about half the games at St. Peter's uh, as a freshman uh, point guard. Um, and that was that was nice. It was great to play Division one basketball. When they made their run this year, when St. Mm-hmm. Peter's made it to the final mm-hmm. eight, um, yeah. it was it was probably the most significant time of my basketball career because I was getting text messages left and right. <laughs> They're going, D- isn't that the place that you were recruited? Did you you played there, right? 
And uh, it's, it's funny because I tell, you know, a lot of, a lot of people had not heard of St. Peter's in Jersey city, mm -hmm. New Jersey before. Um, and whenever I said I played basketball at St. Peter's, it was kind of like this little look, assuming that it might've been like, you know, some division three school in the, in the Midwest somewhere. Right. Uh, now everybody knows that I played at St. Mm -hmm. Peter's and it means something. Um, is that why you started wearing your letter jacket again? Is that, <laughs> well, I started, I started posting my practice jersey. <laughs> this episode of If You've Come This Far is brought to you by Judson & Moore, Chicago's finest distiller of American whiskey. Located in the Avondale neighborhood in what was at one time a leather tannery, Judson & Moore is making two different bourbons, a rye whiskey, and an exceptional single malt. You can tour the distillery and enjoy their whiskeys and amazing cocktails Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Check them out at judsonandmore.com because they also get some outstanding musicians to come play in their tasting room. Now back to the show. So uh, fast forward to um, after my playing career, I started off in college baseball um, uh, coaching career. I played a year of independent professional ball in Louisiana and then went forward with a, a coaching career. And I landed after Indiana State University. Uh, I landed at the U.S. Naval Academy as a teacher uh, and an assistant coach, which was beautiful. I, I wanted to be uh, the Coach K of college baseball. Right. Coach K started off at Army and went to Duke. And I was a big Coach K fan growing up. Um, and, uh, uh, at that point, everything was going really, really well. And, you know, being at the U S Naval Academy, having some of the experiences that I, that I had, I began to develop this thought process around, um, trying to help coaches and teachers and leaders and parents, especially for the, for the 98% of all athletes, millions of athletes who will never have scholarship or profession or accolades or any of like the significant, um, the significant achievements that some of my teams had. I always felt like there was still this immense education that we can give to students, that there were endless teachable moments. There was never a day that went by from a coaching standpoint that there wasn't something that you could take from sport in this innocent, beautiful place where there's constant failure, there's constant obstacles, there's successes, there's attitudes, there's choices. There's always something that you can talk to your young athlete about. There was always something we could talk to our athletes about at the Naval Academy and say, this is how this applies to life. When you get into the real world, these obstacles will happen. So the amount of obstacles and failure um, and proactive mindsets and reactive mindsets that take place in sports. I felt there is, there is a way in which we can bring this together. And instead of sport being something that, you know, that's sport is still to this day, like mainly for the top 1%, which is the top 1% that are super talented and the top 1% that can afford everything out yeah. there. There is still the other 98, 99% that are going to have a window of time in which they can extract the values of sport. And if we can just be better at that conversation, if I could give parents something in which they, they could look at a, a scenario that took place on a field or a court, and they say, let me, let me think about some of the values that mean something to me and figure out how this applies, whether they know anything about sport or not. And then with that, you know, as you, as you look at uh, participation rates of sport around the country, you know, there's so many quality reasons for kids to participate in a student community, right, that has some accountability and teaches you about commitment and teaches you uh, about practice. And I, as, I, as I began to think about it, I looked at sport and I said, there's mechanisms within sport. Like competition is a mechanism through which we can absolutely extract values from that, right? Um, Practice is a mechanism. So in the world of practice, we as parents and teachers and leaders, if we look at practice and we say, well, I want my kid to attend practice every day. Why? Because at some point we hope that in the future they will have a growth oriented mindset and we want them to be a part of competition often because in the future, as I'm thinking about, you know, I, I can 
you can maybe look at your child. Anybody can look at their child and go, probably not going to play college sports, right? It's probably not in the cards. However, if they're involved in competition often, then I know in the future, um, they perhaps can develop some resilience, right? They perhaps can uh, develop perseverance. And we can talk about that. And it gives me, it just gives me an opportunity through that baseball game or football game or basketball game to mention the word resilience and toughness and poise and perseverance. And so um, as I began to, to put those together, I, I, I started off on this, this journey of, you know, trying to find, a, you know, being a, the book being a bit more like persuasive and informational and data driven. And, uh, and, and over the years that just, that just for me as a coach, for me as a teacher, for me as a leader, um, you know, I've, I've always been about inspiration and I've always been about uh, um, um, expressing uh, the feelings that one would have while playing and, and, and trying to apply all of those teachable moments, but kind of more in, in, in an artistic sort of way. And so um, as I went through the process of years, like collecting data and, and putting paragraphs down of um, things that would inspire or things that, you know, would be um, good to know for families about the impact of sport on grades, the impact of sport uh, of team sport on those that have had um, uh, adverse childhood experiences. Like there's data out there that for, for on the ACE test in education, which Chris, you probably know a lot about um, that, you know, for those that score high on the adverse childhood experience, uh, going into high school, if they participate in team sports in high school, um, the outcomes of mental health for those team sport participants is better. And mm -hmm. it's, it's significant data. Uh, and so I was, I was in that range. But in the end, um, I wanted something that would stick. I wanted something that I carried a book around uh, by John Wood and observations on and off the court. And it was it was very, it was done in a very artistic way. It was basically just his thoughts and paragraphs and some of the poetry that he really, that resonated with him, some of the th ways in which he would teach, some of the storytelling that he would do. And I carried that around with me in college. And it just like the way, the, the way the book felt, um, it just felt like I was carrying art, so to speak. And so along the way, I decided that I, I wanted to do something that was just different enough uh, and it was my voice. It was it was it was it was inspirational and poetic um, and hopefully elegant. And hopefully the poetry itself is something that you could see. And you look at locker room walls and you see this and you see the words as they exist. And and it's something that you kind of never forget. Like there's certain there, there's certain poems um, that you kind of just you kind of just never forget. And you kind of keep going back to them. And then over the years, they have different meanings um, as you get wiser. They have different meanings. And I wanted it to be in that range because uh, I'm, I'm very, very visual. And I, you know, I, I love walking into team locker rooms and seeing whatever quote that they have, whatever sign that they have on the wall. Um, and knowing like for the athlete, there's something deep inside of us that, you know, there's a reason why you don't see facial expressions like anywhere else in a student's life than what you see when they're playing. Like you see the most extreme facial expressions because they're letting out the most extreme emotions. And so to, uh, to, to sum all that up, um, in 2016, um, I saw a, uh, a, great, uh, a great YouTube uh, commencement speech by Neil Gaiman, the author Neil Gaiman, G-A-I-M-A-N, and uh, best-selling author. But he did a uh, commencement address to the University of the Arts. And through it, he said, no matter what's happening in your life, and he's talking to people who are going to be creating art or writing or so on and so forth. He simply said, make good art so that it exists in the world. Don't do it for the outcome. Don't do it for any other reason other than so that it exists, because somebody is going to be able to take something from it if it's art that comes from deep within your soul. And so as soon as, as, soon as I saw that, I go... I had been writing poetry from the time I started off as a as a college baseball coach at Indiana State. And uh, I also had the opportunity to coach. Um, I was a volunteer assistant baseball coach. 
And that's how you start in, in college baseball. You start off as a, as a volunteer assistant. So you, you go somewhere and you make no money and you figure it out. Um, but during that time, they asked me, uh, I was asked to coach a freshman high school basketball team uh, at West Vigo High School in Terre Haute, Indiana. And so I jumped, I jumped on it. I was a substitute teacher and I, and I became a freshman high school basketball coach. And coming from a basketball coaching family, I loved it. For those that have, have watched Hoosiers, I definitely was a person that upon in my first game, walking out the door, I said, welcome to Indiana basketball. <laughs> and, um, and I loved it so, so much, making barely any money, coaching freshman basketball from 730 to nine o'clock at night, because that was our time slot. Um, and it just, it inspired me so much that I just began writing some things. I began writing some poetry and in 2016, I went back to it and I started looking at it and I go, this is my, this is my voice. And this is important for me to get my voice out there. I know I've got uh, a different tone and a different way of, uh, of describing things. And I think frankly, uh, different is better. And, uh, and all in all, I think that, uh, it's, you know, it, the book itself is, uh, unintentionally very timely. Right. At a time in which, um, I mean, money has always infiltrated sports, but now it's the, the money has created chaos within sports. So people are people from a, from the time kids are six, seven and eight years old are beginning to visualize the outcome of money and finances and prestige from a very, very young age. And I think this is a nice way for uh, the conversation to be centered again on what the 98 percent of students that don't get those things are able right. to uh, get out right. of it. Uh, I know Sean's got a, got a question, but I'm going to interject real quick with a, a follow-up that may not have anything to do with the book, Jason, but something you said about the, the, the accident with your brother, which is mm -hmm. so sad to me. Um, and it makes me, you know, sad for your family. Uh, um, but um, it sounded, it sounded like you knew that your participation in maybe success in sport was offering your dad some some comforts am i was that conscious did, did i did i hear that correctly well it's a great question so in in terms of uh you know in in, in experiencing and experiencing some, some significant loss which i'm sure we'll talk about later in my life um you know i've, I've gone very very deep into uh, uh meet, you know meeting with a, a grief counselor Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, and, and a genius. Her name is Judy and I call her the wizard because that's what she is. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, and something that I wasn't necessarily reluctant to do, but, uh, something that, uh, um, you know, I knew, I knew that I, I needed to do it for, um, I needed to do it for, for my daughter and, uh, um, in the experience of really deconstructing so many things from my childhood on, um, what was discovered is that, you know, when you lose your brother who you're connected to in such a sudden way, uh, obviously that's traumatic, but you also are very, very alone in the world. And so what I became was a keen observer of everybody's feelings and emotions uh, and their sadness. And so I, I was constantly observing. And I think that uh, um, I, I definitely, I knew, I knew, and I was lucky and I was blessed to be a, um, a, a talented uh, young athlete. And, uh, and I was good at basketball and I was good at baseball and I was good at soccer. Um, and my dad was a coach, right? And so when your dad is a coach, just like his players, like you are constantly like yearning for his approval. And uh, especially in a, in a moment where, I mean, you, you know what they're going through, you see it. Um, and if that's the, if that's the one mechanism, if that's the one mechanism that, um, keeps him going, keeps me going, keeps my mom going, um, it just became part of our rhythm, constantly practicing, constantly having to catch, constantly going to the gym, constantly being a part of, um, um, his teams. And just like in my later life, like I know coaching for him was, was deep therapy. It's a place in which your mind, you can be very, very mindful. And also, um, you know, when, I mean, I just, the best way to put it, Chris is like, you know, we, as, uh, we, as fathers, we, as men, like we have a protective gene, right? We have something that 
Um, you know, we, we feel the need to protect everybody around us. And when something like that happens and it's out of our control, you know, that's a hole that is, that is built so deep um, that I simply have always been just uh, in admiration of, of, of my parents' resilience over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Go ahead, Sean. I, yeah. I mean, one, one curiosity, was it Myers Hill University? Is that where you said your dad was Mar- coaching? Mars Hill. Mar- Mars Hill. Um, did any of those players stay in your life after the accident? They sure did. Uh, yeah. to this day, uh, yeah, yeah, to this day. In fact, yeah. uh, um, I want to say it was, uh, two, two years ago, two to three years ago, we actually surprised my parents by bringing back, um, um, a basketball player, a, a men's basketball player, uh, a women's basketball player, and a, and a football player from Marshall University mm-hmm. to celebrate my my brother James's 40th birthday. It was a surprise, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and it was a really, really, it was a really neat thing. So they've they're very involved. In fact, they've sent me a lot of messages about the book, and uh, so yeah, it was a That's it was true. very impactful in their lives too. Yeah, uh, I'm curious about did your dad. Uh, did you see any difference in the way your dad fathered you compared to how he coached and you're still a coach and you have a daughter. Are there differences in how you coach versus how you father? That's a great question. I would say uh, um, certainly there are, there are, there are differences. Um, uh, But in the end, I think that the similarities, you know, what, my, my father was my father was a fantastic uh, coach had over 500 wins at the high school mm-hmm. and, and college level. And, um, uh, you know, he was uh, I learned a lot from his messages to his players. You know, I was I was I, I sat there and I listened to all of it and soaked it all in. So he was very, very good at the teachable moments, um, very direct. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, he came from the. Uh, you know, he started off when I was born. He was a high school basketball coach in Indiana. So he came yeah. from like the Bob Knight era. And, uh, and so, and he had some of that too. He had some presence, man. He had some, <laughs> and, and a voice and a, you know, I have a loud voice because of his voice. I, I inherited that from him. Uh, and so, uh, um, uh, he was very, very passionate and, uh, uh, but still like there's, there's a place of, you know, there's, there's always going to be a difference when the game is over and when you're at the house and when you're doing different things as a father, there's most certainly going to be going to be uh, uh, differences. But I think all in all, you're still trying to capitalize on the teachable moments and have the conversations and figure out how to apply that thing that happened within that sport or practice uh, to something that's going to happen in life. Mm-hmm. I, I, so so I want to, I, as I started, I got an early copy of the book. And so I, I, I read the book and I, I really, really enjoyed it and encourage uh, everyone to go buy one and we'll have a link in the notes. But um, so I started as I was reading early on, I started to think, okay, well, what, what does Jason mean by sport? And so I'm going to read it because you, you, you have it in one of your poems. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, sport is a physical, competitive, critical thinking mechanism with applicable life values and social emotional impact involving a team or individual that partake in often rigorous, diverse strategic movements requiring mental, emotional, and physical preparation, growth, and aptitude. Hmm. And so it made me think about the, the your comment about the 1% versus the 99%. Mm-hmm. I, I mean... It's a beautiful definition, by the way, and may, and maybe you want to e- expand on that. Um, oh, yeah, but also, but also, just why does why doesn't that? I mean, the the distinction between that's that you know that fits with the one or two percent versus everyone. Um, yeah, so that's well, my question. Yeah, so I, yeah, that's a great question. Well, I, I think that that definition does um, it does apply to everyone. Uh, it, it applies to 100%. And part of that definition is, you know, I come from, um, um, I also come from the education world. So mm-hmm. leaving, uh, when I had to leave the U.S. Naval Academy, um, I came to Chicago and got involved in, uh, uh, in education here at a, at, a, at a high school that was just uh, starting up in 2009. And uh, um, and eventually became an assistant principal and, uh, and a, a coach of teachers. Uh, so I was in charge of, 
culture discipline and instruction for grades 11 and 12 at this uh, at this wonderful high school. So I had to teach teachers and coach teachers. And so um, part of that definition um, and, and, and Chris in the world of education, you, you, you can identify some of those terms. Those are very often used terms in the greatest of classrooms that exist, right? Mm-hmm. Critical thinking mm-hmm. and rigor and social emotional, emotion. right? Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of that book, you know, I'm speaking from the place of a young boy. But I'm also then speaking from the place of an evolved athlete. And then I'm also speaking from the place of a retired athlete. And I'm speaking from the place of a coach and a teacher and a coach of teachers. And some of that is my way of accentuating the potential impact of great teaching in a sport environment to teachers. And so there's a lot of wanting to educate the educators, the decision makers who are there to decide what kind of emphasis and resources they're going to put into sport and say, hey, sport is not just about playing games and being involved with just a team. There is so much more that you can extract from it if we hold our coaches in higher regard and higher accountability for their Mm -hmm. teaching abilities. And so a lot of that is, is speaking to, it's speaking to great teachers and it's speaking to coaches who want to be great teachers and it's speaking to teachers who want to be coaches. And it's certainly speaking to educational leadership saying there's a lot more we can gain from this. Mm -hmm. It's funny um, living in this world of education. You you hear all the time people rightfully kvetching about the withdrawal of funds for the arts. Right. The arts are critically important. I mean, you're speaking to this right here, but your mm-hmm. book mm-hmm. makes a case for the same assessment of, of sport in school. Not that, you know, I think that there, that, that funding gets pulled for sport uh, less sort of readily than it does for, for the arts. But I mean, this, uh, this book and what you talk about is a statement for the value, you know, the social, emotional learning, the complete child, the, you know, preparation for life of all these kids that get, get to participate. So, um, I appreciate that. Yeah, no question. Um, uh, Sean, I want to, I want to come back to one other connection that, that Jason and I have. Um, when I was in second grade at St. Mary's in Springfield, Ohio, my teacher was Joyce Collier and she missed half that year. Um, let me preface this real quick. Um, uh, Jason, the book is important for us to talk about because I love it. I think it's great. Sure. I, I want people to read it. And I could spend hours talking to you about your 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 life, and and you've mm-hmm. you've had some unthinkable uh, hardships in life. Um, this leads up to one. So Joyce Collier misses, I think, you know, uh, a third of my second grade year because she's out having her first son. Um, she ended up having a second son, right? Jason had a little brother. Is that right? Am I recalling yeah. that? Yeah, okay. younger brother Jared and daughter Julie. Okay, that's right. That's right. Jason Collier goes on to be uh, a dear friend of, of Jason's and a teammate of Jason's goes on to be Mr. Basketball Ohio um, played for, uh, did he play for Bob Knight? Played two years for Bob Knight and then two years at Georgia Tech under Coach Cremens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to play for, I know, at least the Atlanta Hawks. Mm-hmm. And then Jason died far too young. I think it was a heart defect. Um uh, I'm, I'm interested. So, so your life and what you've, had to go through um, is, is tied to, to the book, I think, and, and your learning through sport. And I'm, I'm curious on that occasion, um, what, how would you describe what you learned through sport in terms of how you dealt with the loss of your good friend? Sure. Well, I think that, uh, um, you know, Jason, Jason and I and our teammates um, had um, it really was a, a, a storybook couple years um, at Springfield Catholic Central. I mean, we um, it is it is glory days talk and I have no problem talking about it at any point in time uh, because we were really like this. Uh, we were like this. Um, uh, this garage band that, that made it big. And uh, and Jason Collier was the lead singer. And he had so much attention around him. It didn't matter. Practices, open gym, summer league. We had every coach that you can imagine being at our open, uh, attending our open gyms. Uh, and so we, we were, we felt like celebrities 
for a couple years and uh we got to play against kobe bryant in uh in high school and uh lost we lost by five uh and when we had a lead going into the fourth quarter and I yeah but how many did kobe score jason <laughs> well kobe and i kobe and i combined for for 59 points <laughs> he had uh he had 40, he had 43 and i had i had 16 so, uh but i uh i i have such you know kobe's a big influence in 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 my life and uh uh, there's a poem. There's a poem about him in the book. There right? sure is. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, um, I'll come bring me back to Kobe because I want to yeah. talk a little bit more yeah. about that yeah. um, for sure because there's some significance in that. Um, and uh, you know, Jason went on to have a great career at uh, uh, at Georgia Tech, uh, All ACC, and then in uh, um, you know he had a one year old daughter uh, Ella when he passed away. I was coaching at the U.S. Naval Academy at the time, and Jason was like this. He was this incredible figure uh, in our lives. Um, he was he was so very vibrant, and um, he is his his loss to Springfield, Ohio. Uh, it had the same impact as like when when Kobe passed away, and how everybody felt about that. We we could not believe somebody that was that was larger larger than life and had so much ahead of him. And uh, was such a centerpiece of of the success that we had and the moments that we had. Um, he passed away a year before our ten year anniversary, so we never actually got to come back together again. And uh, and I wrote something about that that I'll I'll, I'll probably include in uh, in future books. But uh, but there's the, it's very, been very tough to 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 get closure around that because we never got to get back together again. We never got to celebrate. We had a couple other, we had another teammate that passed away prior to that and a coach that passed away that was uh, very close to me. Angela Cobb's father uh, was a coach on uh, that, Chris. And uh, uh, and so it was, um, it's something where you, you have to, uh, in sport, no matter what is, is occurring, we talk a lot about poise. Poise is a, a significant, if poise and toughness are not part of your core values in sport, they, they should be because poise is, is a proactive mindset toward the obstacles that are, that are going to come your way. And toughness is how you react to the obstacles when you don't know that they're coming. Um, and, you know, there's part of poise that is you know, we have to keep walking forward. We may not understand why this took place. It may leave a hole in our heart that we we may never be able to put back together. We may never get closure to this, but we have to continue to push forward and walk forward and continue to climb the mountain. And as you go, it's also really important to express what that individual meant to you and your family and your people and your team and your community. Uh, and I think that we've we've worked really hard to uh, to do that. And it's still, we just had our 25 year anniversary, uh, recently, and it's still, uh, still incredibly challenging, not being able to see the big man. He was seven foot tall. And, uh, one of the reasons why I have a little bit bigger nose than what was intended is because his elbow kept hitting me in practice <laughs> all the time. I was like right at elbow height. And, uh, uh it wasn't a foul though. It, well, it wasn't a foul. No, it was, he just brought the rebound down and it came right down the bridge of my nose three times. Uh, but, uh, uh, but nonetheless, um, um, poise, resilience, perseverance, um, because those things are going to happen. You know, tragedy is going to happen maybe more at certain times in people's life, but it's still going to take place. And I think that uh, um, because it's talked about so much in sport, because those terms are used so much in sport, because there's there's a time in which you knew that you overcame this one thing and you maybe thought you weren't going to be able to do it. You know, you maybe thought you weren't going to be able to run that particular time when you first started off running cross country. Then all of a sudden you got there and you knew in that moment you were not you, you knew when you started that seems impossible to get to or to get through. But to be able to go back to that place in which you felt something being impossible and you still worked through it. Those are the things that we can continue to talk about through sport and life. 
Well, it's and and you talked with regard to your brother and uh, and your family, and obviously we lean on on each other. Um, I imagine that that team, that state championship team, um, leaned on each other a lot in the wake of Jason's death. Is is that safe to say? Yes, we were. I mean, we were pallbearers um, at his uh, uh, at his funeral in uh, in 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 Georgia, and. Um, you know, we still we have a team text message that we we keep in place mm-hmm. uh, and you and you constantly see, um, you know, our teammates, especially the ones that were that were really, really close to him, constantly honoring him on Facebook and remembering um, remembering the birthdays and remembering the anniversary and remembering the state championship and sending flowers uh, to his, uh, to his parents during his birthday, his mother just passed away, um, mm. uh, over the last year. And we, we all went back to be pallbearers at that as well. Mm. I, I have 70 questions, uh, even though mm-hmm. I could, I could probably convince you to come out and have a beer with me anytime, but I will mm-hmm. pause and, and, and give Sean an opportunity. Yeah, I'm 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 going to go back to the book um, because there's there's a message that really hit me that that you that comes up a few times and mm. um, and I'll just use the passage in my in my wild ride with sport one of the passages I've concluded that the most teachable moments exist within the adversity of a single competition winning and losing we must learn to overcome both over okay I got the losing part. Yes. Talk to us about yes. talk to us about the winning part. Yes, there is. A, um, we we tend to look at the teachable moments and the things that we can learn from sport um, through failure or mistake or loss or overcoming a, a, a setback. And uh, to me, more advanced is to help our young people understand humility and and to understand recovering from a win means learning from that which helped you win that moment that game uh, applying it but then applying it quickly to your growth mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's uh, especially in this world where um, great moments that take place in sport can be celebrated for a long time on social media mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, in order for us to make significant progress, in order for us to make significant growth, um, when we win or when we have that big moment in the game or when we did that one thing that looked really, really great, um, part of toughness right, is being able to react to that and come back to present as soon as possible. And as a coach, as a coach, I would, I would teach my players that in order for you to show that you are becoming poised and becoming tough, you must, when that moment occurs, whether it's a, uh, whether it was a tough moment or a successful moment, you have to overcome it quickly because we have to trust your mindset is present moving forward. That's what poise is to me is that I am present in the moment and that everybody can trust that I'm not going to be sitting on that thing that didn't go well. I'm going to think next play or I'm going to um, be very I'm not going to celebrate in my mind or think about how great that thing was because Mm -hmm. I actually have to be present on the very next play. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I was going to ask the same question. I was also going to chime in. Um, Jason, you've never met my older daughter, but she played basketball at uh, Rogers Park Montessori for a few years. And there's really no better way to learn about grit than going out and losing 40 to four, uh, you know, 10, 20 times a year. <laughs> right. uh, but, but yeah, yeah. There was and, no overcoming winning on that team. No, no, no. There was no, no winning to overcome. <laughs> Um, the time is flying by here. Yeah, Go ahead. Yeah, John. I know. I was going to say, I just, as I, as I was reading the book, there's so much about sport as art. I couldn't help but think about, um, the one moment in time video, the Whitney Houston in the Olympics, one moment in time, but we, mm-hmm. were, you, were you guys oh, even, yeah. Jason yeah. may not have been alive for that. Sure. Um, and just, you know, crying listening to that and watching mm-hmm. that video of all the really it was success it was the winning i think more than anything else that they that they covered and uh just the, it, it just as you talked about the beauty of sport that's what my that's what my mind went to um 
I don't know if that resonates for either one of you, but that was there. Yeah, certainly. I, I, I would say that there's uh you know, if, 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 um, I think we can change the limits of the conversation when we, when we begin to look at um, sport as art and athletes as uh, artists. And there's mm-hmm. a there's a poem in the book that's basically written like from the vantage point of me as a as a as a as a middle school or teenage boy who like got really good grades so that nobody took away practice time from mm-hmm. me. Like, I, did, I didn't wake up every day dreaming about an English class or dreaming about a science class. I woke up thinking about that practice after school and that's okay because I still, I, 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 I did my work and I got good grades. Um, and it was in, in the poems called see my art, which is me talking to teachers and saying like, I know, like, I know you want, and also some of my, some of my student athletes, some of my high school basketball players that I coach too, um, where every once in a while, like we're, we're dreamers, we're daydreamers a little bit. Right. And, uh, um, and if you really want to know me, if you want to build that relationship, recognizing my art the same way that um, somebody that is a, a prolific violinist, right, uh, a prolific piano player, like we recognize that art and we can, we can connect with them because we, we deem it as art. But if we can see the athlete and their studio, their practice arena, when they carry that ball around and make them feel like they are engaging in good art, then that connection can be even better. Uh, I, I would love to get back to Kobe before we do that. Um, sure. uh, you know, back to this question of, of, of navigating life. I mean, our whole podcast is, is a part of our men's group and it's really about making more meaning out of life. And I know that you think a lot about that, Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that, uh, that there have been other uh, experiences in your life where it's like, the, the, it's, it's been rough waters. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to ask you directly, but do you, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's hard not to talk about. And, yeah. uh, and I can, I can, I can summarize it uh, very quickly. So, you know, I've, my experiences of loss uh, in life uh, have come on in, in, on the front end of my life with my brother, James, uh, certainly some loss in the middle uh, of my life with friends like Jason Collier. Um, and then um, when I was when I was coaching at the U.S. Naval Academy, uh, my 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 goal was to be at the top of my profession as a college baseball coach. And it was going very, very well. And my first wife, uh, Krista. Um, we, we had just had our child, uh, Anna and, uh, um, and this was the spring of 2009. Um, and basically by the end of that year, I was going to, I was going to be looking elsewhere beyond Navy because I really felt like things were just going well. It was like a very short time in my life where I'm going, this is actually everything I planned. I I planned it this way, family, daughter coaching at Navy, looking out there and knowing that the, that, that there were going to be, um, that the, the sky was the limit. And, and I mean, that's, and we know like, that's a very different, like when you're actually present in that particular place, that's, uh, um, that's significant. Like we, we, we don't always, things don't always go the way that we planned and it was going that way. And on February 10th of 2009, uh, I got a call while I was at practice uh, and she told me she was diagnosed with brain cancer. Um, three weeks after our daughter was born, mm-hmm. which effectively um, uh, things were things were going very well for us as a family. Uh, obviously, she could no longer work. I could no longer uh, knowing that they only gave her two to five years at that point in time. Um, there was no way that I could continue being a college baseball coach at the Division One level because you're recruiting all over the nation. And mm-hmm. um, I could no longer travel. So I actually had to change course completely. And in my life, I, I have uh, it's been really interesting because I grew up. I, I was very singular focused on being a, a major league baseball player. And then when that didn't work out, it was very easy to transition into. I want to be the very best college baseball coach I can be. And so there was structure to that and there was plans to that. And then at this point I had to change course and I was lucky enough to get into education, something that would get me out of bed every single day, something where I could continue to, uh, to teach and to coach. And I became a high school basketball coach uh, in Chicago, which was one of the neatest things that I've ever been a part of. And that's when I knew I love coaching because, you know, being on national TV, 
uh, coaching in the Army Navy baseball game the year before and then coaching in park districts in Chicago the next year with just me and the boys. I, st- I loved it. I loved it. It means I just love coaching. It wasn't about the prestige or anything else. And um, and so we were able to live as a young family here in Chicago, which was uh, um, for, you know, we, we were hoping, you know, uh, Krista's goal was to just be there to walk our daughter Anna to kindergarten. And we didn't know if we were going to be able to get there. And we did. And uh, and so we squeezed in. Um, um, we basically she was she, she she her cancer journey lasted seven years. She passed away in 2016 and um, we were able to squeeze in so much of life into those uh, uh, into those seven years and spend a great deal of time working on um working on the transition plan for um, our daughter, Anna, knowing that she was going to pass away. We knew she was going to pass away. And, um, and, and we knew that I was going to be alone. It was going to be me and Anna in the city of Chicago and trying to figure out how to make it, uh, uh, how to make it work. And so we worked extremely hard on what that looked like for our daughter. And, uh, and to the point of like, an example is we made sure that there was nothing in Anna's life that looked like this is what the dad does and this is what the mom does, right? And so at the at the point in which when we knew Krista was going to pass, that daddy, daddy cooking or daddy doing the laundry or daddy walking to school or daddy taking to doctor's appointments or daddy talking about anything that is, you know, perhaps typically a female conversation was not going to be seen as different. And uh, we spent years working on, on, on that to make sure that that was the case. And so, um, uh, and so from that point on, I, uh, um, it, was, it was me and Anna in the city of Chicago. Uh, and somewhere along the line, that's when I ran into Chris. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. and we had a chance to, to chat and hang out uh, a bit and talk about things. And, um, and so, uh, you know, come 2000 and uh, that happened in, um, in May of 2016, uh, or excuse me, that happened in April of 2016. And, uh, um, and Anna and I spent uh, almost a good four years uh, on our own. And, and, and I tell you, um, that is a, uh, that was a, that was an incredible journey uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was, there was so much of, um, it was so much of, of, of my previous experiences for sure that I think helped me prepare for that moment uh, in which it was just going to be me and Anna. And I was also uh, a man that was scared to death. I was scared mm-hmm. to death and didn't, uh, there was no blueprint for it. And uh, I didn't really have a lot of people that had, that had a shared experience uh, as well. And so, um, but after about three and a half years, I, I was, no matter what anybody said in terms of, you know, Anna's going to be a teenager and she's going to, you know, she's going to need somebody in her life and she's going to need a female to talk to. After about three and a half years, I said, you know what, I, 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 I've got this. Like I actually felt I was so proud of myself uh, because I had navigated the waters and I just kept swimming and I just kept swimming and I just kept swimming. And I was beginning, beginning to see land and I, I felt really good about myself and I felt very accomplished. Um, and I thought it's just going to be me and Anna for the rest of time. And I think it actually took me getting to that place to then be able to open myself up to um, others. And then that other uh, was a, a wonderful, terrific, fantastic woman by the name of Jesse Weingartner. And we had coffee in, uh, in 2019. Um, and you know, she's in education. Her father uh, is Tom Weingartner, who is the uh, uh, the former or the, uh, the, uh, retired athletic director at the university of Chicago. So I'm, I'm now an athletic director overseeing a bunch of high schools there in Chicago. We had a lot of similarities and it was like a, it became a parade that I couldn't, I, I couldn't not be involved with. Uh, and so I was very blessed to get married again, uh, in, uh, in 2020. And we now have another daughter who's now, uh, now one years old. Congrats. Lucky okay. girls, <clears throat> lucky girl, all of them, all three of them. Yeah. Um, uh, so r- real quick, last note on this, Jason, I never got to know Krista. Was she mm-hmm. an athlete? And, 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 and whether or not the answer is yes or no, what do you think she would have said about your book? <laughs> uh, you know, we, 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 
we talked a lot about the uh, uh, book. She was not an athlete. In fact, uh, and I, I, I have no problem saying this, like she came from one of the most unathletic families of all time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it's, it's really funny. Um, uh, I think that, uh, I think that she would say, I, I knew you could do it. Mm. I knew you could do it. And, uh, because it was certainly during all that time, I was doing a lot of different writing at that time, but life circumstances and time creates a lot of resistance and, you know, resistance is a very powerful beast that's often lurking in the bushes a bit. And, uh, um, so there was a lot of resistance to being able to do that. And also a lot of pain that I had to go through in saying, I'm actually going to give all of myself to this. I'm actually going to let my heart pour out into this, uh, book. And, and I knew it was going to be all of me. So that took a lot of time to be able to get strong enough to be able to do. Is, is Anna an athlete? She is. Yeah. She, she plays, uh, she plays three different sports and uh, she's got a very healthy relationship with sports. She really enjoys the team aspect of it. Uh, she doesn't, uh, she doesn't enjoy practicing on her own as much as I did growing up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's like AI practice. <laughs> practice? But she is a, she is a, an incredible teammate and, uh, yeah. and she, uh, she really enjoys poetry too, which is nice. Uh, that's great. That's great. Sean, do you have any more questions before we spring our, our canned questions? On sure, sure I do, but, but we don't have time for that. Well, so, so I, I, you know, in the, in, in the podcast world, uh, which we're a very prominent part of, I think we get to make our own rules and we've threatened other people with this too, but we could easily get Jason back on here to go deeper into the book. I'd love yeah, to get him back sure. on here about Kobe and about Jordan. Right. Right. <laughs> That's right. Met them both in, in really unique circumstances. Played against one. Uh, met met Jordan when I was uh, seven in a really unique, uh, really unique situation. With a with, with a year after my brother passed, Jordan was uh, a year playing with the Chicago Bulls, um, and he came back to Western North Carolina. And I went up to get his autograph, and my dad had set it up at the sporting goods store. Store. He knew the owner. I went up to Michael Jordan with my basketball, and he looked at me and he said, "You must be Jason." And Michael Jordan said, "You must be Jason." And I thought, man knows me. And, uh, <laughs> You're like, so, I am good. <laughs> yeah. So a, a really, a really neat moment set up by my dad at a time in which they all knew I needed it a lot. Well, there, there is a lot more that we can talk about. Sean and I are are, are sort of obsessive about uh, about sports in general, and mm-hmm. often our conversations derail into that territory. But in your case, that would be perfectly on track, and so. We could definitely do it uh, again. Would love to have you. It's great to see you, first of all. Um, it's been too long. You as well. Yeah, definitely. You as well. Um, uh, so, and you know the routine, right? You've heard us before. We've got to ask you three yeah. questions. Uh, I thought, I thought though, that you gave those, you know, I thought perhaps you gave the questions ahead of time in case there's any surprises, but. Well, no, we effectively do because they're the same because they're the okay. most, I, I think we've distilled them to, there used to be four, now there's three, but we've distilled them to questions that, I don't know. I don't know if Sean will even agree with me, but I, I think are meaningful. And so here we go. Yeah, you know? sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that sounded patronizing. <laughs> no, no. All right, Of Jason. course they are. Of course they are. Um, yeah. What do you wish you could have told your 10-year-old self? Well, I uh, never settle. Don't settle. Don't settle for... Uh, um, don't settle. If I had a billboard, it would just say, don't settle. And, uh, I still, I still stay with that. So I would tell my 10 year old self don't settle. And I would say, um, it's all going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's an important message. Yeah. One, the one that you can speak to, uh, with some, some experience. Um, you may have answered the second one already. Do you have a mantra in life or a mantra these days? But it certainly is. Don't, don't settle. Don't settle for uh, don't settle for bad conversation, bad food, bad drink, uh, <laughs> bad living. Uh, just don't, just don't settle. There's always another place that uh, you can go. Um, you know, I have my own, uh, uh, you know, I've begun my own little, little podcast and I end it always with, uh, be great, uh, and break barriers. And I say be great because I would tell my students and athletes often you are, uh, never, Nobody can hand you a great day. Nobody can guarantee you a great day, even though that's what we say. We say, have a great day. Um, But in the obstacles, um, you know, there's a great poem by Grantland Rice where he says, 
but the storm's beyond our waiting. Um, and we have an unconquered will, and therefore we can be great no matter the obstacles proactively. And then break barriers is like um, enjoy, you know, understand the importance of discomfort and know that that barrier is always going to be there and you can break that one and you can break that one and you can seek another one and seek another one and break that one. So be great and break barriers. I like it. Also billboards. You should go into the billboard business. Um, mm-hmm. um, uh, let's see here. Uh, this last one is uh, uh, what do you hope that people will say about you at your wake? <laughs> he tried really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, he tried really hard as a father, coach, husband, uh, if they put anything on my tombstone, uh, he tried really hard. Cause I think in the end, as educators, coaches, fathers, uh, we're, we're not going to be perfect. Right. Um, but I think our kids will always recognize the try. Mm, I love that. We are, Sean and I are going to do a podcast. I'd hope to invite uh, an old professor of mine from Notre Dame, who is the wisest man I ever met. Um, he passed away recently, unfortunately. So we're going to talk, get together and talk about his last lecture when he was at Boston college in it, he talks about the end of uh, Chaucer's Canterbury tales where the character says, if I've done any of you, any harm, I ask you to credit it to my lack of ability and not my lack of will for, I surely would have done better if I could. And I think that's, that's the message, right? Um, He tried. So I appreciate that. I appreciate you, man. Same. I really enjoy it. I I, I love what you all are doing. Um, Keep it going because the conversations are, are, are important. And I appreciate your authenticity in it as well. It was very inspiring to me as I began on my podcast journey as well. And we will promote that as well. We'll promote the book. And, and I, 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 uh, I, I, I've been listening to your thing. Your, your voice is also makes us look bad. Not only does your face yeah, make us right. look bad, but yeah, your voice right. makes us look bad too. I, 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 inherited, I inherited a deep voice. So I, I <laughs> yeah. feel good about that. But, uh, let's but, promise to get together soon, Jason. Yeah, let's do it again. Pleasure. This is Chris. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of If You've Come This Far. And this is Sean. Remember to check us out at menliving.org.